All right. I think I should be live. Um, all right. Welcome back, Beth. And I'll uh, get the word out that I want to be um, streaming via my Facebook Live. And God willing, this will help uh, relate to some of the hiccups. And I uh, just want to, again, reiterate, thank you so much for um, the, the help. Everybody else has been. Samuel, thank you so much for your patience, brother, and commitment to making things happen. So I'm going to pray again. <laughs> um, and as, as I said, some of you may have heard it. There's probably a reason why um, this is happening. And it's probably the sermon content. So thankful that my wife is behind the scenes texting everybody. And my daughters are praying for daddy. And uh, yeah, people are texting Daleen. My daughter gave me a precious note uh, telling me, as I was scrambling to get equipment, uh, everything's going to be okay, trusting God. Satan's going to try to do everything possible but I, it, so that it goes out wrong. I love you. Um, <laughs> and then she told me a little joke uh, that we had during the week so that I could laugh a little bit. So anyways, I'm just giving a little time for people to log in um, and discover, uh, I, I think, both Holly and Tom or Samuel or Bruce you can uh, actually, if you're watching this on your phone or even in your computer, uh, you may be able to find a little menu that says uh, start a watch party. And I would definitely encourage Holly and Samuel if they can do that for both the Lake City and Cadillac uh, Facebook pages. That way people can also find them via our respective Facebook pages. Um, but if you're watching, I want to encourage you to have a watch party because what that will do is it will notify all your, your friends on your Facebook uh, account that you're watching this live stream. So uh, I didn't mention that on the last one. I forgot, I'm sorry. But you can, ask, you can start your own watch party of this live stream and make the Lord reach more people for His glory. So let's pray as we begin with the, the attempt of um, preaching the Word of God. Father, again, I thank you for plans B, C's, D's, and F's. Thank you, Lord, that Nothing catches you off guard. When sin occurred, you told us that there was a plan already for our salvation. And Father, we are confident and we claim the promise of Romans 8.28 in which all things work together for good. Again, Father, I want to affirm my brothers and sisters, Holly, Tom, especially Samuel, who has spent so many, so many hours trying to make these things work. Father, I thank you for his tenacity and passion. I know that he was going to come in prayer to figure out how to bring the best we can possibly bring to you for your honor and glory. And I thank you for a young man that is so committed to honoring you and serving you through his talents. And Tom and Holly as well. And the rest of the church leaders. Father, um, again, I ask for your spirit to lead. That this discussion will not just be informational. But Father, that it will help us see clearly with eyes of faith. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. Okay, if there is any issues or concerns... Text my wife. <laughs> She'll let me know. <laughs> um, so anyways, this is the sermon that we're going to be going. Again, this is the second part of the series, The Walk of Faith. And we're going to be talking about seeing with 2020 faith. Of course, I'm referring to 2020 vision, not just the year we're living in. We have some invisible realities. Uh, the fact that this gizmo is communicating to that is uh, evidence that... Uh, there's no wires connected. There's an invisible connection. And yet, we know that uh, this does not negate science or, or logic or reason. Radio waves, microwaves, ultrasound waves, 
um, many people stubbornly resist and reject this idea, these notions, and experience the detrimental effects of that. Namely, when they don't put things like sunblock. Uh, I used to tell my mom when we used to go to the pool in Little Buffalo, Pennsylvania, uh, I don't need sunblock, you know, that's for wimpy people. And what is it that I'm supposed to be protected from? Ultraviolet rays. I don't see any ultraviolet rays. I see beautiful sunshine. Well, when you ignore putting things like, especially the, the 50 plus, you know, I want people to know that I was at the beach. I want people to know that I was at the pool. Well, they definitely will know that you didn't wear sunblock because this will be the outcome. You see that? That's not pretty and that's not healthy either. And yet, there are realities that though we may not see ultraviolet rays, we can certainly experience their effects in our lives. And so our world tells us there's something out there. There's more than, than to our reality than what our eyes can tell us. And I'm going to go a step further in this sermon and invite us to consider something about science. I, I, you know that I was a nurse, so this is not going to be where some people take uh, these kind of thinking. Uh, I love science. I, I love my AMP classes, anatomy, physiology, chemistry, biology. I love those classes. And they were not taught. I didn't take them at a Christian college. It was a very secular college that I went to. But from my classes and programs that I would see in the Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel and many other venues, I would come across or come away with conclusions like this. Science is the only method to look at the world and determine what is real. And that is what uh, Dr. DeGrasse Tyson and Stephen Hawking and many others uh, are, are presenting, Dawkins, uh, are presenting to individuals, to young minds, convincing them if science cannot prove its existence, then it's not real. Science alone can tell us what exists in reality and what does not. Uh, these were some markings from the first attempt of preaching this. Um, but the Bible argues that in spite of how advanced and informed science has become, science alone cannot discern nor describe everything that is part of our reality. The Bible invites humanity to say, yes, um, it's good to investigate, it's good to have an inquisitive mind, it's good to develop telescopes and microscopes and explore, yes, uh, it's great, you know, dive into those disciplines, but recognize that it's limited. No matter how sophisticated we may become, science alone is limited in being able to tell us what is and what it is not so that was our one call now telling you that I'm going to be five minutes late and the Spanish pastor is ahead. Ha! <laughs> <clears throat> we'll go on now. If science alone cannot completely identify everything that does in fact exist. In 1933, a scientist doing calculations of gravitational pools in stars and relating to other uh, heavenly uh, entities recognized that hey, there's only so many stars, but the gravitational pull, it doesn't make sense why this would, doesn't add up, came to the conclusion there has to be something else, and he developed this term called dark matter. We couldn't see it, but through our calculations, we could discern that it existed. There's something there that even with our instrumentalities, we could not identify, but yet it was there, dark, dark matter, matter. And so we can ask the question, how do we know that there's not darker matter 
right? And we can chuckle at it, but that, that statement is pinpoints, zeroes in on the limitation that science inherently has. And it is this. This is the limitation. We do not know what we do not know. Now, I could approach my three-year-old and ask her, he say, what does that mean? You're just repeating what you're saying. It's not a repetition. What I'm trying to convey with this is this. If I approach my three-year-old and I tell her, um, do you know trigonometry? She's going to give me that blank stare like, what? What's that? Is that a toy? Is that food? Is that a cookie? Um, now, from that point where I told her, do you know trigonometry? From that point in her experience onward, now she knows that there's something she does not know. But prior to me telling her that or asking her the question and, and mentioning that term trigonometry, prior to that, she did not know that she did not know that something called trigonometry existed. And that's the, the, the limitations of science. Science can only investigate what it does not know, but it cannot investigate what it does not know it does not know. I hope that makes sense. I hope you had your breakfast <laughs> so you can uh, use the, the carbs to process that. That's the limitations that science has, is that Achilles tendon, is that like in 1933, science did not know that it did not know about dark matter. But after that, we did, we did and we studied it and now we are able to understand it better. But science, th these occurrences, historical occurrences and personal experiences inform us that Science alone cannot describe nor define reality for us. Science gives us to our modern societal culture eyes, it offers it, with which to see reality. And thus it no longer makes sense, it is no longer logical, rational, to try and see our reality through the lens of faith. And this is where it touches you and me. This is the subliminal, subconscious effect of watching scientific programs in which these messages are continually being presented, continually being offered as the most rational, intelligent, sophisticated way of relating to reality. It's no longer faith. Now it has to be only science. Today, more than ever, Christianity struggles to see by faith and not merely by science. And there is a, a lie that's being peddled there that you, can, you have to choose one or the other. You either go all science or all faith, and both groups are wrong. They do not contradict. They do not offer a one or the other, but they actually blend beautifully faith and science. I'm going to tell you experience of Dr. Richard Gallagher. He's a board-certified psychiatrist and a professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Medical College. And this is from the article written in the Washington Post in 2016. The title of the article says, As a psychiatrist, I diagnose mental illness. But as a psychiatrist, I also help spot demonic possession. I read that article and I clicked on it right away. caught my attention. I'm going to read this a little bit of reading. And bear with me. It's worth it. So pay attention. Is it possible to be a sophisticated psychiatrist and believe that evil spirits are, however seldom, assailing humans? Most of my, and there's that word, scientific colleagues and friends say no because of their frequent contact with patients who are deluded about demons, their general skepticism of the supernatural, what's beyond nature, what's beyond what science can see and discern and describe, and their commitment to employ only, 
And here he's affirming that. Science only has standard peer-reviewed treatments that do not potentially mislead a definite risk or harm vulnerable patients. But careful observations of the evidence presented to me in my career has led me to believe that certain extremely uncommon case, cases can be explained no other way. He's recognizing that it's not just astronomy that has to relate to um, dark matter. In the science of psychiatry, there's also dark matter. There's also things that we do not know that we do not know. And he tells the story. It is not just scientific, but anecdotal as well. In the late 1980s, I was introduced to a self-styled satanic high priestess. She called herself a witch and dressed apart with flowing dark clothes and black eyeshadow around her temples. In our many discussions, she acknowledged worshiping Satan as his queen. I am a man of, and there's that word, science, and a lover of history. After studying the classics at Princeton, trained in psychiatry at Yale, and its psychoanalysis at Columbia, that background is why a Catholic priest had asked for my professional opinion, his uh, curriculum vitae right here, which I offered pro bono for free, <clears throat> about whether this woman was suffering from a mental disorder. This was at the height of the national panic about Satanism, so I was inclined to skepticism. He didn't come here as a believer. He didn't come here thinking, ooh, I need to prepare my heart with fasting. No, he's, this is a mental, mental situation, and it needs to be addressed with science. We're going to solve this problem not with the archaic, a fable-based faith lens. We're going to approach this head-on using science, because science can explain everything, and through science, we can solve everything. This was his experience. But my, but my subject's behavior exceeded what I could explain with my training. Dark matter. He did not know what he did not know. When he came to encounter this, all the scientific training he had received at these prestigious universities fell short of being able to help him explain what is he seeing right here. She could tell some people their secret weaknesses, such as undue pride. She knew how individuals she'd never known had died, including my mother and her fatal case of ovarian cancer. Six people later vouched to me that during her exorcisms, they heard her speaking multiple languages, including Latin, completely unfamiliar to her outside of her trances. This was not psychosis. It was what I can only describe as para normal ability. I had to conclude, I concluded that she was possessed. I concluded science did not offer me the instrumentation, the tools with which to observe this and explain it in a purely scientific way. I had to now lean on faith. This was a spiritual situation, went beyond science. As a man of reason, I love this sentence, it's so loaded. As a man of reason, I had to rationalize the seemingly irrational. Questions about how a scientifically trained physician can believe such outdated and, there's that word, unscientific nonsense, as I've been asked, have a simple answer. I honestly weigh the evidence. I have been told simplistically that levitation defies the laws of gravity, and well, of course it does. We are not dealing here with purely, here, I love this, purely material reality, but 
spiritual realities, realities from a spiritual realm. One cannot force these creatures to undergo lab studies or submit to scientific manipulation. It's beyond dark matter. They will also hardly allow themselves to be easily recorded by video equipment as skeptics sometimes demand skeptics as he himself once was. Ignorance and superstitions have often surrounded stories of demonic possession in various cultures. And surely, and I agree, many alleged episodes can be explained by fraud, chicanery, or mental pathology. But anthropologists agree that nearly all cultures have believed in spirits. And the vast majority of societies, including here, our own in the West, have recorded dramatic stories of spirit possession. Despite varying interpretations, multiple depictions of the same phenomena, its astonishingly consistent way offers cumulative evidence of their credibility. Globally, same story told in the same way by individuals of different backgrounds and different languages, but the experiences are almost identical. And that experience and the recording of those experiences become cumulative evidence of credibility. And that is how he, as a man of science, can conclude there is something that science cannot explain. There is something that goes beyond science. We do not know what we do not know. And he has come face to face with something that forces him to say, I cannot just rely on science. You know, for us Christians, as I thought about this in the context of this experience, you may say, well, it's good for them out there that struggle with this. I don't. But let me ask you, what rationale have you used? And I'm speaking to certain individuals, not everybody out there. And I'm speaking to myself because of my past experiences. What rationale did you use to watch entertainment of this sort. I'm going to just throw out there a name, a word, Bewitched. I hope you don't watch that show. And it's not because it's grotesque or it has immorality. It's simply about a housewife that happens to be a witch. And I think that show came out, what, in the 60s, 50s, 70s, somewhere around there? So it's not a modern, grotesque, you know, depraved show. No, it's a show in which a woman who happened to be a housewife was also a witch. Why, what did Christians have to, what kind of rationalization did Christians have to go through to allow themselves to watch a program that highlighted a witch? And I don't even need to go to the more uh, blatant and explicit uh, television programs and movies that highlight, endorse, and glorify this, this kind of reality. See, you have to kind of convince yourself it's make-believe, it's Hollywood, it's fiction. And so via science and via culture, we are being bombarded so that our eyes can no longer see through faith. Our eyes begin to see explicitly through science or through fiction. And fiction, of course, goes along with science because fiction simply says these are fables. It's not real, it's just special effects. Is a movie about things that uncultured, unsophisticated people believe. And that's not you, right? It affects us in more ways than we realize. The last quote. As a psychoanalyst, a blanket rejection of the possibility of demonic attacks seemed less logical and often wishful in nature than a careful appraisal of the facts. As I see it, the evidence for possession is like the evidence for George Washington's crossing of the Delaware. 
in some cases, written historical accounts with numerous sound witnesses testify to their accuracy. It's not necessarily something that can be grown in a test tube, but written historical accounts with numerous sound witnesses can afford cumulative evidence so that you can realize this does exist. This is a reality that cannot be grown in a test tube, cannot be placed under a microscope, cannot be looked at through a telescope. It has to be understood and seen by faith because it is a spiritual reality. The Bible argues that in spite of how advanced and informed science has become, science alone cannot discern everything that is part of our reality. Science cannot completely identify everything that does in fact exist. Faith does. And faith and science are not at odds. Faith actually expands what you could see through science. So we have now this background to this sermon about being able to see with 2020 faith vision. Angels and demons and faith. Um, some individuals, like I said earlier, can justify watching certain forms of entertainment or listening to certain forms of entertainment, not realizing that what they're doing is harming their capacity to believe. Because if I'm going to just um, eh, explain away my conscience telling me I should change the channel, I should not watch this, I should not be listening to this, I should not be reading these things about witches and warlocks and things like that, if, if my conscience is convicting me of that, I have to go through my own rationalization process and it, it cannot be anything more or anything less than simply saying, well, it's not real. We don't see these things. I don't see these things. And uh, most of the scientific community uh, scoffs at anyone that would even dare to express belief in these realities. So if my criteria for not believing in angels is that I do not see angels, then what criteria do you as a Christian use for believing in an invisible God? If angels are not real because we do not see them, then how can God be real to you then? Is God real to you? We began to now discover and begin to put our finger on something that if we follow the trail can lead us to a place where we can heal our faith, or if ignored, allow our faith in God to ultimately die and have our faith completely be given over to something that cannot explain everything about our reality. So, Pastor, why does it matter whether we believe in angels, evil or good? Why does it matter whether we believe in the adversary, demons, etc., witches? I thought, you know, it's optional as long as you believe in God. Well, not so. Um, and, and we're going to talk about three reasons why it matters about everything we've talked about so far. Um, this is part of our walk of faith in preparation for the second coming of Jesus. This is not something optional. This is not a, a good thought that, you know, I, I, I can listen to another sermon instead of this one. No, this message is crucial for individuals that claim to be preparing for the second coming of Christ and our faith. Our faith needs to be 2020 biblical faith. It needs to be, has, have the ability to see things by faith. So the first reason out of the three is Jesus. The Bible repeatedly mentions Jesus being engaged 
by these created spiritual beings throughout his entire ministry. You cannot say, well, angels are optional to believe because they are integrated intimately into the life of Jesus. From his birth, baptism, ministry, the cross, his ascension, and his second coming, angels fallen and unfallen play an integral role in the gospel's historical, historical accounts by numerous and sound witnesses. Remember what um, Dr. Gallagher said? The same way that he can come to believe in demon possession is the same way you and I can come to believe in the existence of angels, but more importantly, in the existence of God. Written historical accounts, numerous sound witnesses. So the birth of Jesus. Angels played a key role in that. An angel invites Mary to be the mother of the Messiah and encourages Joseph to wed Mary through though she's already pregnant. Had not angels intervened, this would have never taken place. An angel wants Joseph to flee to Egypt with Mary and the baby, declares the advent of the Messiah to the lowly shepherds, and warns the wealthy wise men of the East to avoid Herod. Angels played a key role at the birth of Christ. So if to say that it is optional to believe in angels is to leave out one of the key components of the gospel story, of the great controversy narrative that is inherent in all of the scriptures, in our reality as well. You have the wilderness temptation. Lucifer, now referred to as the enemy, we'll talk more in just a bit about Lucifer, now referred to as the enemy, engages Jesus with fierce and intense temptations immediately after his baptism. And those of you that are baptized, it doesn't, it's no different for you and I. That's why many people, after baptisms, uh, they don't sometimes last a year before Satan snatches them away. He is furiously trying to uh, dissuade people, and when they choose to do this, discourage them afterwards to deny that act. Loyal angels minister to Jesus after his victorious, victorious over each of the temptations. So you have a, a war. You have this individual called Lucifer, or the adversary in the, in the New Testament, the enemy. But you also have these other beings called holy angels, the loyal angels. Uh, events in his ministry, Jesus cast out demons who controlled the minds and affected the bodies of individuals, just like that witch. She could speak in different languages. She could discern people's past um, and give extreme personal details because of these beings that are around us, that are real. Jesus affirmed that each of us, each of us have been assigned an angel whose overarching mission is ministering to us for our salvation. Jesus describes the joyful sentiments angels have over our salvation. And I talked to individuals. Remember when we talked about sound witnesses? I have asked individuals, have you ever had an experience that just kind of left you wondering about you being on the side of a road and someone shows up and they fix your tires and then when you try to thank them, they're not there? I had an experience like that in Bolivia. My neighbor uh, had a bicycle, uh, a child-sized bicycle, not like the the kind my dad gave me that was an adult size. Um, And uh, of course, we wanted to get a ride. I allowed him to let us borrow it. And he was a snotty kid. uh, And so he said, if you can catch me, I'll let you borrow my bicycle. My brother and I were pretty fast runners, so we began to book it, and he began to run, 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 run with the bicycle. And, uh, of course, he would slow down enough for us to almost catch up to him, and then he would take off again. And he took us zigzagging all over the streets of Cochabamba, Bolivia, until we came into, in the front of this big, huge soccer stadium. And as he was zigzagging through the vendors, all of a sudden he just disappeared in the crowd, and he left us there. And uh, I looked at my younger brother, Marcelo, and uh, we looked at each other and we're like, how do we go back? How do we go back home? 
And uh, my younger brother got scared. He began to cry. I didn't want to cry, but I wanted to cry as well. So I picked him up and I began to carry him. And I didn't know where to go, what direction to go. And it was nighttime already. Uh, it was dark. And so I thought, man, how am I going to get home? And out of the blue, this young boy, looking just like the average little boys around us, grabbed me by the hand. I didn't know him. And as far as I knew, he didn't know me. He grabbed me by the hand and led me through the vendors to a dark street. But when we got to the corner, he pointed to the end of the street. Didn't say a word. He pointed to the end of the street. And at the end of the street, there was a light post. And I recognized it. Our house was in that corner. I was like, that's our house. So we booked it. When I would turn around to thank him, he was gone. He didn't know my name. He didn't know my address. But he knew where I lived. This is one person that has a testimony that there are things beyond what science can explain. And I'm almost sure Cadillac and Lake City and the many other churches and the many other individuals that are watching this, you yourself or you know someone personal that has had an experience like this. We are surrounded by beings that have been created. And there's a reality that science will never be able to open to our eyes. It can only be opened when we, by faith, approach it through this lens, the lens of Scripture. That's why in the life of Jesus, you see, they don't uh, leave them out because they were integral part of this, uh, his ministry, his life. Jesus described the joyful sentiments angels have over our salvation. Remember what Jesus says? There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents over many individuals that never feel a sense of their salva need of salvation. So you and I have made angels do cartwheels and, sh and shout for uh, joy and sing hallelujah to the Lord when you decided to accept Jesus into your heart, the angel that has been assigned to you wept with tears of joy that finally all this work and effort has paid off. You have surrendered your life. And there are some of you that still haven't. And your angel is striving hard. Whether you believe it or not, it is happening. As real as you walking out into the beach without any sunblock, the UV rays will affect you in the same way these spiritual forces are continually fighting over our allegiance, whether to sin and death or Jesus Christ and eternal life. Events surrounding the cross, the adversary possessed Judas. That's what the Bible explicitly says in John. He entered, Satan entered his mind and led him to betray Jesus and then deceive him into hanging himself. And that's the end of every human that yields their minds to the enemy. It will only lead to self-destruction. An angel, a good, faithful angel came to strengthen Jesus while he in agony prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The angel encouraged Jesus in his mission to save us. It wasn't to take away the cup but to point to the millions like you and I that because of God's patience and compassions, we would eventually yield our lives to Him and receive Jesus as our Savior. And that's what that angel did. Jesus affirmed He could call on His Father and He would send 12 legions of angels so Peter could put away his tiny little sword. Jesus didn't need Peter's sword for protection. He knew His Father could send legions of these uh, angels, these beings that are willingly ready to protect and defend God's children. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear the Lord, and he defends them. In the ascension, it was two angels who communicated to the disciples that this same Jesus, who had gone into heaven, would come in like manner. So from birth to ascension, angels play an integral part of the ministry of Christ. So you cannot say, I believe in Jesus, and then discard the, the existence of these beings that affected what happened in his ministry all the way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
The second coming, Jesus says he will return with all the holy angels to gather his people from all, all four corners of the earth, and there will be fallen angels. And this is where we're going to be kind of segueing for the next part. Uh, who will greatly intensify their work to deceive right before Jesus comes. I remember hearing it. Oh, thank you. I remember hearing that, um, thank you, honey, right before Jesus comes. I remember hearing that one of the biggest lies that Satan has peddled around the world is that he doesn't exist. I'm going to say that again. The great deceiver to our modern, sophisticated minds through science, one of the biggest, most dangerous lies he has peddled is that he, Satan, the adversary, that he does not exist, that he is a myth, that he is a fable. That is way more frightening to me than any of the Hollywood personifications of the, dark, the Prince of Darkness that has been portrayed. Because when you no longer believe in him, it's like you no longer believing in the AIDS virus and just going out there and living recklessly and exposing yourself to something that will take away your life. Or even right now with this coronavirus. In Kentucky, some young people got together for a coronavirus party and tragically, one of the young men contracted it there. But what could you expect? And if you, dis you made this belief, and even watching this sermon, you may scoff at the idea that there are spiritual beings accosting you and seeking to influence your mind, whether for righteousness, whether to turn to the Lord, whether to move away from certain behaviors and choices, or whether to yield your life, or yield your life to darkness and your own desires and your own will. Those realities are in your life, whether you believe them or not. And it becomes highly dangerous and, and, and fatal for you to come to the conclusion, well, because I can't see them or because science tells me otherwise, I cannot believe in their existence. That is going to be the ma more masterful deceptions that is going to hit the Christian world, not just the world at large, but especially the Christian world as we come near the end. Why does it matter to believe in these beings that science cannot identify? Because God is love. It restores our ability to see God truthfully by faith. You know, you cannot explain the existence of evil outside of the realization that these beings do exist. Because we have now uh, this reality. The Bible tells us God is love, God is a God of love. But when you look around us, we see coronaviruses, we see nurses and, uh, and physicians exhausted, drained by these, these things, these, these diseases. We see earthquakes and fires and all these calamities. But God is love. If God is love, then why this stuff? Why are these things happening? Well, the Bible uh, is that one faith lens that helps us understand beyond what science never could explain. These answers cannot be found in nature. These answers cannot be found through any instrumentality of science. They can only be understood and realized and experienced through the Word of God. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, the, this adversary, this enemy, the one that tries to convince many people he doesn't exist, <clears throat> said these words, excuse me, you will not surely die for God. He's going to describe God. God knows that in the days you eat of, the, of, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But this expression, your eyes will be opened, implies something that was a fresh insight to me. What this adversary was trying to convince them was, your eyes are closed right now. God has closed your eyes. 
God has given you eyes that cannot see reality. But if you disobey him, if you disregard him, if you distrust his character and listen to my words, then your eyes will be opened. There are many young people that hear their elders, their pastors, tell them and warn them. And Satan whispers into their eyes. They're so deluded. They're blind old fools. Don't listen to them. You follow me and I will open your eyes. That is a masterful, seductive temptation. By nature, we are inquisitive. By nature, we want to investigate and understand. And so when Satan says, there's something you do not know and God is keeping it from you, it pulls and it tugs and so much more now in our sinful nature. So the existence of a God, Satan doesn't really concern himself. Of course, if he can get you to believe that there is no God, he would love that. But if you were to believe in the existence of a God, he wants you to remain ignorant and worse, believing things about him that have nothing to do with God. It's, It's powerful that Adam and Eve were given the gift of sight. They were able to see. But they listened to the words of Satan and then they convinced themselves that they were actually blind when sin actually blinds us. In John chapter 8, Jesus restores the eyes, the sight of a man that was born blind. And in doing so, he healed so much about that family and so much heartache that for years had plagued that family, not just the man's blindness, but the idea that either the parents have sinned, so God is punishing this child because the parents must have done something wrong, or that this child was born like that because God knew that he was going to do something wrong. So boom, right off the bat, I'm punishing you with blindness. Jesus says, no, I have come to remove this sin cataract that is blinding humanity as to who God the Father, who God truly is, and I'm going to glorify God by restoring this man's sight. And at the end of that narrative, Jesus says, um, this person that was blind could see me, but the people that can see are blind to who I am. Sin will blind you as to who God is. You need Jesus Christ and his supernatural intervention by grace to open your eyes so that as you read his word, and you need to read his word, that is the healing balm. Remember the sermon about the seeds and the mud? That is the miracle that will happen to you in your heart, but you need to respond. You need to act by it as, to that as well. It was an angel in heaven named Lucifer, the carrier of light, who became the prince of darkness, who allowed covetousness, pride, and selfishness, selfishness to mysteriously take root in his heart and mind. Through a long period of time, God compassionately appealed and entreated Lucifer to repent from his faulty blind reasonings and return to the high calling God had created him for and he hardened his heart. And if the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents, I can assure you that the demons rejoice when a sinner hardens his heart. When a sinner hears a message appealing to their repentance, appealing to their return to the Lord, and they harden their hearts, they turn off and watch something else, they want to distract their minds with something else, The demons around you rejoice, just like the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner. Satan will rejoice over your perdition because he knows he's lost for eternity. He's made up his mind. He made it up long before he came into contact with humanity, and he wants to drag you down into his misery. Lucifer resisted, hardened his heart towards God, and deceived a portion of the angels in this process. This is how the Bible describes the origin of evil an unexplainable 
inexcusable, mysterious development of sin that took place in the heart of a being science cannot measure, science do not have, do not have the instrumentalities to identify or nor describe, but a psycho, psycho, uh, psychiatrist could recognize, though I may not be able to explain it, it is there. It is there. Just like that scientist who looked through the telescopes and says, the mathematical equations don't add up. There's something there. We cannot see it, but it is there. We'll, we'll call it dark matter. Well, right now, this man said, these have to be demons. But who are these demons? Where do these beings come from? Only the Bible can afford the answers through faith to those questions. And faith is not blind. This, man's, this man that was born blind received sight by faith. So faith, far from being a delusion of blindness, is an experience of illumination, an experience in which our eyes are finally open to the reality surrounding us, and then we begin to have answers that truly satisfy our hearts. God is not to be blamed for the existence of evil because God is a God of love. And there's much more that we could say. This revealing in heaven was transferred to the earth by Lucifer and the rest of the fallen angels. Humanity, like the angels, misused God's gift of freedom and chose to distrust God's love and His word, His character. Because God only accepts willing a love-based devotion, obedience, and worship, He grants all His created beings freedom of will. To choose to worship Him solely because of who He is. To love Him. To worship Him. To love Him because He is love. To love Him because He first loved us. The clearest revelation of God's heart, His character, we can find in Jesus Christ. And lastly, why do we need to understand and by faith believe in the existence of these beings? Is because Jesus is coming soon. The end time lie, Romans 1.25, tells us that humanity... First the angels and then humans exchanged the truth about God for the lie about God. The reason many humans reject God, the reason um, Dr. DeGrasse Tyson rejects um, God is probably because of the picture of a God that has been told to him that is wrong. Uh, as my, my friend uh, John Trombley says, many people reject God for all the right reasons. And the right reasons are because of untruths about God's character that have been shared to him. So it is our job as a church through the Word of God and through our choices and our lifestyles to exemplify these truths so that humanity can see a different picture of God and be willing to hear about this God that only can be understood by faith through the Scriptures and that faith, far from blinding them, will open their eyes. The end time lie. Now the Spirit expressly says, the Holy Spirit says that in the last times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed. Listen to where this comes from. Deceiving spirits, teachings of fallen angels. They are theologians too. And because they used to know God's character, they can distort and pollute ever so imperceptibly things about God so that humanity can believe things about God that are not found in the scriptures. And because of that, many people will say, I will never follow a God like that. I will never give my life to a God that you claim is described like that in the Bible. Well, you can keep him. Well, I have news for you. The God that is described in the Bible, if understood correctly through the Bible, you would want to worship. You would want to love a God the way he has revealed himself through Christ. So it's an invitation for those that may have rejected him because of things that may have happened in their lives or things they cannot explain. 
Science cannot explain everything that has happened in your life. That's why you have been given the gift of faith. The end times lies, Revelation 16, 13 through 14 says, And I saw unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And we think, oh, political, political. No, no, no. Listen, these couple of weeks that we've been at home, Netflix has been inundated. Their traffic has just gone through the roof. So has Hulu. Disney Channel had to throttle their bandwidth because of people consuming. That's the preparation. That's the preparation. Satan doesn't care if you were watching Donald Duck as long as you were not allowing your eyes to be healed. As you were not allowing this a uh, word that is sharper than a two-edged sword like a surgeon, removing the cataracts that sin inherited and developed had caused us. This is the only means by which through faith you and I can understand the character of God. And these beings, these angels, the, the holy loyal ones, are striving in your mind, in your thought, and through providence to lead you to recognize all this free time. My wife and I looked at each other and realized, why are we so much more busier now than we're home than when we just had the regular routine of work? Has that been your experience that now that you're home, you're busier? Busier with good things? Good things that are not allowing you to meditate, to say to the Lord, I still don't know you. How could a three and a half pound brain say, I know you already, let me move on to the next thing. But rather, Lord, I want to see you more clearly. Open my eyes. Give me 2020 vision, a faith that can see you clearly. Faith in God entails faith in what has been revealed to us in His Word. The existence of created spiritual beings is integral to my salvation history and to my personal daily experiences. Remember how I said Satan's most powerful, toxic lie is to lead people to believe he doesn't exist? I need to be fully aware that I need God. Why would I need Him? Well, Ephesians 6.12 says to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The problem is not your wife or your husband or your kids whom you may be fighting with. The problem is not the church member, the pastor, or whoever it is. Paul is saying, you're, you're looking at church scientifically. You're saying the problem is what I can see and what I can hear and what I can touch. And I can, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so or my husband or my wife, and we try to be, we, we're not realizing it, but we are reverting to a scientific method in trying to be Christians. And Paul is saying you will fail. You need to see by faith that you are not wrestling against the people that you are wrestling against. There is something beyond behind the scenes. We are wrestling against uh, rulers. We are wrestling against powers, authorities of darkness, against spiritual armies of evil. Did you realize that that's what you're fighting with? When you and your parents go at it and you just want to go up to your room and slam the door, who are you fighting against? Who are you trying to argue against? Are you aware? Are, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to remind you it's not her, it's not him, it's them? They are forces that are influencing. And I'm not talking about that your mom's possessed <laughs> or you're, that you're whatever. But they are, we are being influenced. 
We are certainly being influenced. We are certainly hearing whisperings in our thoughts of things that have not been said or interpretations of what have been said that were not meant to be said that way. And so begins the provocation and the instigation by beings that love to see families fall apart over misunderstandings. My younger brother and I were in Bolivia. I think it was La Paz. And uh, we were playing outside, having fun time with each other. And these older boys across the street saw us having fun, and they decided to have a little fun at our expense. We didn't know that. Young boys look up to older boys. Oh, they can kick the ball harder. They can run faster. I want to be like him or her or him or him. (laughs) Um, And these boys came over, and they brought a rope with them. We had these denim shorts. Actually, they used to be pants that we outgrew them, and my mom just snipped the bottom, and they became shorts, you know, environmentally friendly shorts. And um, because they were used to be denim pants, they had belt loops. And um, this boy said uh, to my brother and I, who's the strongest here? Who's the strongest one? And I'm the oldest one, of course, and so uh, in a humble way, I am. Oh, really? You're the strong? Oh, and then they went to my younger brother. He says that you're stronger than, he's stronger than you. You're going to let your older brother tell you that stuff? Because you look pretty strong, too. And my younger brother was provoked, and uh, I don't know if he's stronger than me. Maybe I'm stronger than him. And right away, they began to get us to look at each other like, Argh. So they decided, let's, let's settle this by uh, an empirical scientific experiment. We're going to tie this rope to your belt loops in your back. And at the count of three, you're both going to pull as hard as you can in opposite directions. And the one that gets dragged away, that's the weakest one. And the one that drags the other one, that's the strong one. That's the victor. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I'm saying my brother. So they tied our belt loops together. And they knew that none of, nobody was going to get dragged away. My brother and I waited ready, muscles tense, one, two, three, go. And when we ran, our belt loops first yanked us, and then they broke. And when they broke, we both fell, scraped our knees, busted our elbows on the sidewalk. And when that happened, the boys walked away, picked up the rope, and walked away howling, laughing at us, laughing at us. I looked at my brother, and he looked at me, We had been deceived into fighting each other when we were just getting along just fine. That's the battle. That's why you cannot get up in the morning without spending time and saying, Lord, put your spirit in me because that's the armor. The armor is not something that God gives you and says, okay, now you may go on your way. God is that armor. God is the protector of your mind and your thoughts. And in the same way that those boys, and I'm, Sure, they were used by the power of darkness to to think these dark thoughts, to cause these brothers that are getting along to fight with each other in the same way they they walk away howling. They walk away howling when you and your wife sleep in different bedrooms, don't talk to each other for a week, when you and your kids don't call each other for the holidays, when you don't call your parents and you haven't called them because the enemy is whispering things and you're listening. You're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong enemy. An enemy that's laughing at how he has separated your family at how he has separated you from your church family. Some of you have not been in church for such a long time because you're fighting the wrong enemy. And you will not escape this enemy by not going to church anymore. He is, Peter says, be watchful, be sober, because your enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he comes to church, but he comes to your house too. Who have you been fighting against? Hebrews 11 27 and then 12 through 1 concludes saying, By faith Moses forsook Egypt. He rejected this world. By faith Moses said, I don't want this. 
not fearing the wrath of the king, he endured as, look at this powerful statement, seeing him who is invisible. The invisible God can be seen by faith. Can you see the spiritual realities in your life? Can you recognize that when your emotions are being provoked and misunderstandings abound, there are enemies surrounding you, but just as surely you have the armies of heaven convincing you humility is the path. You need to pray right now. Call out, time out. Take the punch and say, I'm not swinging anymore. I'm not swinging anymore. Honey, we need to stop. Let's look at us. We were fine just a few minutes ago, and now we're squabbling over what? because you're fighting the wrong enemy. Therefore, we also, like Moses, we also, since we are surrounded by what Dr. Gallagher said is more than enough, a great cloud of sound witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. You may need to get rid of some books in your home. You may need to go through your video library and get rid of the things that will lead you to treat these adversaries as if they were science fiction puppets. CGI is drawn up by a computer. They're not. It's not fiction. It's a reality. And it's affecting you. And it's affecting your prayer life. Because if Satan can lead you to believe that he is fiction, why pray? You can handle life just fine. Just you and your phone, right? Some of us may need to cancel memberships of things that are allowing things into our home that is diminishing and wounding our faith into these spiritual realities. So it is a wonderful tool for connecting. It can certainly be a tool for something else. And if right now you need to remove yourself, give yourself time away to regroup and recalibrate your sensitivities, restore your spiritual sight, it is to your advantage to call up whatever may be or throw away or burn or whatever it may need be, a cleansing. That's what Paul says. Let us lay aside every weight. You know, this two, three weeks that we've been at home, Many people have hardly opened their Bibles. And if I ask them, uh, how are you doing with your Bible studies? Oh, pastor, is so busy. I don't really have time. And the sin which so easily, my friends, let us own this, so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us because we have ability to see. Because uh, Paul says, looking unto Jesus. How can I look into someone that I cannot see? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Just like Jesus said that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. If we by faith see his word, we will See Jesus. You know, I was 19 years old and tired of my younger brother being my chauffeur. My brother got his license like 16, boom. He, he had already his permit six months before. And at 16, he went and got his driver's license. And he was driving me around for three whole years. At first, I liked it. I was like, Marcelo, I need to do some grocery shopping. Marcelo, I need a ride to work. He was nice. I sat in the back seat, read, do whatever. Um, but then... Girls began to notice that if we went out to a restaurant or something, my little brother was the one driving me around. Um, and uh, I realized that I can't keep going like this. It might affect my singleness. 
So I decided it's time to get my driver's license. So I went to the DMV in Pennsylvania, PennDOT, and my parents gave me the book. I had studied it, and uh, Elder uh, John Hoke from Harrisburg, a good friend, his family, took me out driving. I had purchased a uh, white uh, Volkswagen Jetta stick to boot. And so I was like double scared, you know, trying to figure out the clutch and all those things. Uh, Elder John Hoke took me out to the farm show a couple of times, and finally I got it. I was ready. I memorized the book. I knew how to hit reverse and all those things. I'm ready to parallel park, even though this thing didn't have power steering. Uh, my car didn't have it. So I go to the exam place, and I'm ready to take the exam and go out driving. And they're like, before you do so, Mr. Roldan, we need you to put your face right here. Do you know what that is? Maybe they changed it now. Maybe they just tell you to look at your phone. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. But you peel this little piece of paper right here. It's a very thin piece of wax paper that you peel off because all the cooties from the person that was there before you is there stuck, all the oils and dead skin. So you peel that off, and then you peel about three more, and then you're ready to go because they're very thin. Then you put your forehead right there, and you have to kind of press, and then a light comes on, and then you look through that, and the lady behind that machine will tell you, read me the first line, read me the second line, and read me the fourth, fifth, etc. So I was like, A, Z, H, whatever, K, la, 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 la. But I'm like, this, I mean, I got on the defective one. My luck, I get, I said, ma'am, I can't read the lines you're asking me because it's blurry. Please fix the machine. That's what I said to her. I'm like, we pay our taxes. What do you do with our tax money? You get defective equipment? Where is this thing made? Who's calibrating these things? The lady lady was chuckling. She thought I was joking and I was being real. And she went along with it until she realized, oh, he really means it. He says, sir, you cannot take the test today, neither the written nor the driven test, until you come back here with corrective lenses. My eyes see just fine. No, they do not, sir. And then the Holy Spirit and the angels began to remind me how I used to get frustrated at church when they would put the hymns on the screen and I would tell the guy in the projector, fix the focus, it's it's not focused. Or I couldn't see things far away. And imperceptibly, over the years, I had lost my vision. And the things that I thought I could see, because at one time I could see, I no longer could see. And at 19, I had to go to an eye doctor, optometrist, and sit behind that machine. And it was at that machine that I realized how blurry my vision had gotten. Because he told me in a dark room, read that little rectangular box at the end, and I could barely see it. And then he brought this big apparatus and began to flip these lenses around and turn them around. And you've been to one of those, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the more he turned, he would say, is it clear this way or that way? This way or that way? This way or that way? In about five minutes, my brain was exuberant because for the first time in such a long time, I could again see clearly. The day that I got the, my glasses, they were not the most stylish ones that I got because I couldn't afford them, but I didn't care. They were a big, huge, they would have been style now, but they were big and I didn't care because everywhere, I just wanted to stare at trees. 
I wanted to look at clouds because for years I had lived in a blurry world and it felt like as if for the first time I was seeing again. Lord, open my eyes that I may see you again with eyes of faith. Some of us may not have seen God with eyes of faith since our childhood. Something may have happened to you that you have lost your ability to see clearly. And God is calling you, come to me. I can give sight back to the blind. But you have to recognize that your vision is blurry. You need correction. I want us to pray Psalms 119 verse 18 in which the psalmist says, Lord, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful truths from your law. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I can understand why the adversary would not want us to hear. We are hurting our eyes, our spiritual eyes. We are wounding our faith unawares. We call it entertainment, but Satan exalts because he knows that through it, he's leading us down a path in which eventually, Lord, we will have a hard time believing in you and your existence, much less theirs. And the sermon, Father, is not so much about me believing in the created beings called angels, but understanding that the reality of sin is real and that these beings, Father, are continually seeking to influence us. And we choose. We're not victims. They cannot force us. But, Father, this battle is so subtle and it's in our minds. Without the power of your word, protecting us without your Holy Spirit, without your presence abiding in us and us choosing your presence over anything else. That is, Father, what this sermon is about. Father, the reality is, is that I lost my vision because I would watch television in the dark too close. And I did that for years and my parents would warn me, don't watch television from such a close Proximity, don't put so, it so, so close to the eyes. And I ignored those warnings, Father. So I, I affected my own eyes. I need glasses, Lord, because I chose to disobey. Some of us, Father, this morning are recognizing we are reaping what we have sowed. Years of neglecting your word. We may have been going to church but we have not been going to you, the healer of our eyes. In Revelation 3, Father, some Sabbaths ago, we heard that you have eye salve that you can give to those that cannot see. So, Father, we feel and sense our need to make these words our own. Lord, open my eyes to give priority to my spiritual vision that I may see Father, the realities that your word presents me and that in seeing, I may respond with wisdom, submission, and trust to you. Father, I pray that if there's someone that hasn't been to church because of a hurt, because of something someone has done, that they will recognize they're fighting the wrong enemy. I pray for families that may be fragmented right now, 
because of hurts that are real, wounds that are real. I ask, Father, that through your Spirit, you would unveil our eyes that we can see we're not wrestling against other human beings. This is a spiritual battle that can only be fought and have victory when we are fighting in your armor. Forgive, Lord, our believable excuse to us that we are too busy for you. Forgive us. Forgive us for allowing the blindness to get worse day by day. Forgive us, Father, for the many times in your providence you call us back and we tell you later when I have time. Father, I pray that as we hear this, whoever may be listening and whenever they hear this, that at this moment, what we have read in Psalms 119, 18, they will say themselves to you in their hearts, Lord, I want to see. I want to see open my eyes through your word that I may see your word and that in seeing your word, I can see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed Sabbath, church. Uh, at 6 o'clock, we'll have a panel discussion on the Sabbath school lesson. And we'll probably do it through my live stream again. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy your lunch with your families. And God willing, we can meet again through this medium at 6 o'clock. Um, Jan McConnell would like a prayer and blessing for my church family that are going above and beyond to help me and make my life easier. Praise the Lord for that. And Holly, for new contacts made recently, the spiritual blessings result from the interactions and bear fruit for God's kingdom. And uh, Brandau, I'm guessing is Lynette, or David, prayers from Michael, and Cinda, who have this uh, condition, yes. We need to pray for these people. And for my daughter, my precious youngest daughter, she wants to pray for all of you. She has written all of your names on her piece of paper. She wants you to know we're praying for you as a church family. Let's keep each other in prayer. Thanks, Samuel and Tom and Holly and everybody else that has been helping to make this happen. See you at 6 p.m. God bless.